And I think that's important. You know, I think you should be able to look back on every day thinking, have, have, I, have I improved something? You know, something better as a result of having spent the day here uh, than it was the day before. That was Peter Cullinane. This is Doug at the podcast. episode of Duggett the podcast I was super excited about meeting Peter um, his partner wife Vicky owns one of the yoga studio studio red that I teach at and Peter came uh, to class the other night for a workshop actually and then wrote this wonderful uh, email back to me thanking all the teachers and um, and I was really curious about his processes and even just that the the way he took time obviously a really busy person just to to let everyone know what a great job they did and to um to give his thanks and and then it kind of really came through in the the podcast too his passion for adding value and for improving as you kind of heard in that first little snippet there and um, I was really kind of keen. He apparently did this amazing AUT or Auckland University speech. I think he spoke at both both universities. And um, and I was intrigued at like what his advice and what his story was, and what 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 are the things that have made him so successful in in business and in life. He seems like such a happy uh, happy go lucky guy and gives it all, uh, gives everything his all, and. Uh, and so I was super curious to sit down, and then I, I drove down from up in Mangawai, where I've been kind of based, and, and managed to leave one of the mic cords behind. And so I turned, <laughs> I, I got all my parking money, meter money, and had got all the stuff sorted and arranged my day around this one episode. And a bit like leaving a passport at home, I left one of the kind of simpler things behind. So didn't want to waste the opportunity even just for myself to hear Peter talk so I recorded it on the iPhone so I apologize for the fuzz in the background but for those who don't know Peter Cullinane was I think he was CEO CEO or COO um, of Saatchi and Saatchi worldwide everywhere out of outside of America he had an advertising background and then got into a few different products he helped launch Antipodes in New Zealand, so like New Zealand's first kind of premium water bottle company. And then he started Lewis Road Creamery as well, which has gone onwards and upwards. And for someone who's kind of, uh, I'm not a big dairy person, I've had my own personal issues, <laughs> issues with particularly dairy marketing, uh, but to get his perspective on it in a smaller kind of organic uh, producer, because I don't think anything's inherently good or bad, and Peter talks to that in, in reference of politics and business of being finding some kind of middle road. And it's really interesting, the story, the history of our New Zealand psyche about making commodities and just kind of 
making more and more for less and less and that's kind of like a really short term um, solution and uh, how he kind of found the niche for these products and then and then developed them and from his childhood having these memories and linking all these ideas together and working with great people and kind of connecting the dots as he went from someone who just dealt with advertising to actually producing a physical good and, and all the other aspects of that. So really, it felt like a mini MBA uh, or just kind of insight into the life of creating really upstanding businesses and, and his office and all of the details with everything he does is uh, it's really inspiring. It kind of lifts, um, as Tony Robbins would say, it like set a new standard and feel like I feel like he would be setting new standards all the time and with the office the story and the about how it's like a farmer's cottage there the office and they make all these products in this beautiful kind of farmer style kitchen and and the detail and the, the way the place looked and the whole there's no separation of product and brand he talked about but I'm not going to cover up everything in the talk I'll let Peter kind of, I just sat there in awe really and just was uh, enthralled by his every word and so it might be a bit fuzzy, it might be a bit slow to get started but there's so many kind of pearls of wisdom in there particularly if you're looking at just curiosity and passion for life and and there's, there's plenty to take out of there particularly if you're looking to do a business as well or have that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. So without too much... Uh, more talk, I've got to head off to one last two, so I'll keep this one short, but here is Peter, hope you enjoy it as always, uh, love to hear your feedback and thanks for tuning in and I'll uh, make sure I remember my chords, I'll try and get some uh, good snippets down at one last from some of the teachers and interesting people down there and get that audio quality back up for you so you can uh, enjoy the ride, enjoy the insights from Peter Cullinan. Here we go. So for people who... Oh, what do you have for breakfast today, <laughs> Pete? What's the normal morning routine yeah. like here? So um, I'm a man of... Uh, I'm a man of, uh, of habit, I must say. So at the moment my habit is um, two slices of our, um, our uh, five grain... Toast. The new Lewis Road yeah. bread. Yep. Yeah. So I have that, obviously, <laughs> Lewis Road butter, and um, and then uh, a, a couple of shots of coffee. But um, I still go from, from. How do you have your coffee? Black. Just straight. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I drink a lot of coffee. I I'm sure I drink far too much. But, um, <laughs> but that's that's the that's the story there. So, um, but I, I, you know, my standard summer breakfast actually is. Uh, Three wheat bricks with butter and honey. Butter and honey. Yeah. Just you know, butter and then honey on top. It's brilliant. And then you get and do you get up at a certain time? Yeah, or do you I get I get up. Um, yeah, I get up at um, quarter to seven. Yeah. So, and then I either go straight into the office or I go to the gym. I saw the car parked out this yeah, morning yeah, yeah. to have at Les Mills yeah. and yeah. Get a so PT. I go, I go twice, a, twice a week and I've been going for you know, like 25 years. So, yeah. um, 
And that's all sort of part of the routine as well. I've got a great um, uh, trainer called Steve um, Callan, who's just like that. So I live, you know, vicariously through <laughs> through Steve's adventures. So he keeps me uh, he keeps me sort of posted on who's doing what to do. We, we have a great old time. It's really good. And it's just all um, the, all the gym work has almost always been um, just for small stuff. So you know, weights and everything else, but always 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 balance work. Yeah. Which I'm really keen on because of the fishing. And then you got a beautiful office down here in Commerce yeah. Street, which is like, yeah, it's a beautiful space. So the, so the beautiful thing about this office, for me anyway, is, um, so I'm a big believer in, in, the, in, the, in the surroundings that you work in. I, for me anyway, I reckon for most people, they make a huge difference to how you feel about what you're doing and so on, so I'm really focused on it. Um, and the offices, you know, so I come from an advertising background, and so the offices have always been sort of pretty cool. But when we, when we were thinking about an office for Lewis Road, we wanted something quite different. And so this, so the theory of this anyway is that it's, um, it's like a grand farm kitchen, really mm. stroke office, you know. So so that's the, that's the kitchen obviously, and and. 99% of everything we create, like we create on that kitchen bench. Oh wow. You know, so it's really so it's really interesting. So there's not much that we've done that we haven't in fact there's probably almost nothing that we that we haven't started there. And at that long table where everyone sort of you know sits around and discusses what we're doing. So it's so it's brilliant, so it keeps it very real. Um, and then the the art is um, a lot of it's just from um, my, you know, my mother's um, bits and pieces, um, and then the two that 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 big painting there is actually a five hundred dollar um, 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 rip off from you, know, you send a you send a, yeah. a photograph and it goes up to China and. So I've got another one um, that's that's um, out being framed at the moment, the same sort of thing. Yeah. And then as soon as that's finished, we're gonna send that one back and get them to pour on like, you know, layers and layers of lacquer. Okay. So you know, it'll it'll look yeah, it'll look great. So yeah. yeah, but it's lots of fun and I reckon it's really important you spend a lot of time in these offices. Um you know, it's a bit like the studio. You you, you want to you want to really enjoy the physical experience, I think. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I'm a real thing about keeping everything sort of you know neat and focused, and it's kind of all that all that stuff makes a huge difference, I reckon, to that to your output. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. The studio, uh, studio red in this space. The attention to detail, the yeah. love that's yeah. put in from yeah. every detail, yeah. um, and that's kind of one thing I noticed spending time with Vicky. Yep. Um, was that attention to detail, that long term game, and this, uh, yeah, to paint a picture. I'll take some photos of the space yeah. to share, but it's um, yeah, it's wonderful. Like, it feels like another home. It's really weird, and, and it's it's amazing to have the, um, when people come in, how excited they are by it. You know, it's just, 
But what's also, you know, just because it's so different to, um, to anything else you might, you, you might see. But the other thing about it, which is for me neat, is that Achilles House, which is this building, is a protected building, um, a heritage building. But it was um, built by the Nathans um, as a, a Carrigan warehouse in 1901 or 1902 or whatever, which is why it's so solid, you know, because you can take all this weight. But the Nathans were the um, family who really developed um, commercial dairy in New Zealand. You know, oh, so going right back to, yeah, so they go right back to, they created Glaxo, which is, you know, that huge Glaxo Smith Klein, you know, huge drug company around the world. But that Glaxo actually started in Bunnythorpe. It's the first little dairy company they had. So it's sort of, I love the fact that it's all, you know, it all links back. Yeah, well, I was thinking too of <clears> the <throat> advertising background with the storytelling and the heritage and yeah. all that side of it. Um, and obviously the your marketing and advertising expertise. So how did you start it in, was that Saatchi's? Or was that kind of your last? Um, so most of my... Um, Career was at such as so I started. Um, so I was born and bred in Wellington. So the first agency I worked for was called um, Dorma Beck, which is just a little, you know, New Zealand agency. It was quite big actually, but it was, you know, New Zealand agency. Did you always want to get into advertising? No, I, no, no, no. I just sort of fell into, into it, it. Literally fell into it. But, but actually, thank God I did because I loved it. You know, yes. it was, you know, um, it, it, it's an incredibly exciting business to be a part of, I think, especially, you know, always when you look back, things are always rosier than, you know, when, when you look forward, I guess, but um, it was a period when, um, you know, advertising was incredibly um, vibrant, and as a business, it, it, you know, there, there, was a, there was a lot of money in the system, and so, you know, um, things were done really well, and, and um, and budgets were big and people were well paid and well looked after and so it was a very exciting, you know, it was a very exciting industry to grow up in. Uh, and so I was with um, Dorma Beck um, for, I don't know, my chronology is terrible day, but um, for about 18 months and then joined um, Ogilvy and Mather which was, and when I joined Ogilvy and Mather it was like the first serious growing up international agency that was, you know, did things, you know, properly. Um, and that was like the best training. So I did that for, again, maybe um, two or three years then. Um, it was sort of travelling between these things, but then um, joined a, a New Zealand agency called Mackay King, which was small, um, but by the time we sold it, it was the number two agency in the country. So it, was, it just had this fabulous, pretty um, growth. And then we sold it to, we sold Mackay King to Sachi and Saatchi. Um, and when we sold to Sachi and Saatchi, they were at their peak, you know, it was just acne. They were an unstoppable bloody global force. Um, and then we merged their existing Saatchi operation, New Zealand and ours, together. Um, and that made us sort of overnight the biggest and biggest and best, really. And so then I ran that for, know, 12 or... So yes, I think. So you started in accounts. Did yeah, you know? I was always sort of an account guy, sort yeah. of account service, um, 
and, and that I was incredibly lucky um, that from really early on, I, was, I, uh, I just I had a brilliant group of people I worked with, and the, the probably the most outstanding of all was a guy called Kim Thorpe, who you know is still you know a great mate and partner, and he he was in my mind and remains certainly the best creative director New Zealand's ever produced. He's just a uh, he went. He um, he established Back Barn, you know, the vineyard and the and on Hawke's Bay and Hawke's Bay yeah. and all that. So that's all Kim. That's all his sort of vision and eye and just in, you know. So so we had a really you know, fabulous run. Um, and you know, if you're lucky, I think sometimes you just get in a situation where you have a partner where you're not sure where one stops and the other starts, you know, so you can complete sentences and make big leaps and, you know, you sort of, um, and, that, and that's what we had for, for that entire time. So, um, you know, Sachi, when I was there, not because I was there, but, but when I was there, was just a phenomenal machine. Um, and you get to a stage which is, which is brilliant where, we we had the we had everyone we wanted, you know. So there was no one that we would think it would be great if we could have X Y Z and not have X Y Z, you know, because it was such a so it was just this collection of people who just wanted to do their best, um, and they were surrounded by people who wanted to do their best. You know, so we were that was fabulous. And then I went to um, the states with such as, as worldwide. Um, CIOs, the Chief Operating Officer, so I was responsible for all the Saatchi officers outside of the US. So it was like, a, so I don't know how long that was, but mm -hmm. uh, for about four years, I think, um, where I was just on a plane. You know, it was just like constant, constantly on a, so I, was, you know, I was always in some strange time zone. Um, and Vicky and Grace were obviously in New York. And then we had um, September 11. You know, the, with the twin tiles coming down, and we'd been in London for a few months, and then I went <clears throat> that morning. I went to sorry, the the, the day before, uh, Vicky and Grace flew back to New York. They got in about sort of ten o'clock at night, and so Vicky, being Vicky, sort of went straight down and sort of ordered, you know, got all the groceries and all this and that. So so the place was really well stocked. Um, and then I stayed on in London and I flew to Paris the next morning. And that was the morning of the attack. So um, Vicky and Grace were by themselves, you know, <clears throat> in the apartment. And they could see out the window, they could see the tiles. Okay, so that was, that was wow. an extraordinary experience for them. Um, and that's when we had one of those, you know, mm, you know, don't know if we, you know we, we should really assess what we're doing and why we're doing. So that's when we decided to come back to. New Zealand, so it was sort of um, a couple of, about a year, I suppose, after after September 11, and then we started a company called um, Assignment Group, which was with Kim Thorpe um, and a guy called James Hall, who had succeeded me running New Zealand, and you know a great suit, and he went on to be chairman of Saatchi London, so he came back. And then the fourth partner of crime was a guy called Hard Grieve, who was just a terrific, terrific credit. Um, and so we did that for a number of years, and then 
Um, that's sort of when we started, well, well, I, well we did two things really, we started Antiquities Water Company as sort of our first, um, our first sort of venture into saying we're going to run, just recommending what others should do, we should, we should do something ourselves, that, that was our first venture and, and it was, you know, that, that was a fascinating learning curve. Um, and then the Lewis Road story, you know, started, I think it's sort of, it's coming out to five years old. And they're both kind of, uh, kind of echoed Richard Branson, like wanting something yourself in the market and not seeing it there. And yeah. Then, and yeah. That was the insight, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, coming back. On both of them, actually, the, the, the insight on water was, um, was Simon Woolley, who, who was the, so the, the, the partners in, Antipodes originally, uh, Hargreave and Kimthorpe and I and Simon Woolley, who was a restaurateur in Auckland. And then he had a sort of um, fabulous guy, but he had this sort of sudden thing of, no, I want, to, I want something new. So he took himself off to the Lee Strasbourg Acting School in New York. Um, and he, and he's, he, he sort of lives on the smell of an oily rag, Simon. So he, he, you know, I, I think he did it quite hard in, in New York, but he was he was very close to Vicky and and really helped her when I was you know he, he was like a brilliant part of uh, of her life. So we always had this thing of mm, what what can we do for Simon? So when Simon came back to New Zealand, we had this meeting down in Hartsby, thinking well what what business could we create that you know he could be a part of? And that's um, we spent we spent most of the day on it day talking about. Um, Howard had this idea of a tuna, um, wild caught tuna. So we spent this day with him and And then it, it was sort of went quite cracking. And then Simon at the end said, you know, I, one thing I do wonder about is, is why in my restaurant, you know, I, I, I was always serving Evian or, or you know, Pellegrino or whatever. Why can't New Zealand do a great water? And so that was the, the light bulb moment for that. I was like, well, I don't know, why couldn't we? So that's where it started. <laughs> Um, and that's just gone on from strength to strength. You know, it's been a it's been a great great learning curve. And then the 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 dairy thing for me, Lewis Road was just a whole. It's like so many ideas, Joe. They don't. There's no there's no one road that leads you to something. It's always the um, it's always a collection of ideas, and it's uh, um, to me anyway. I think it's always a matter of sort of seeing a pattern. Or seeing a, seeing connections, you know that that, are, that that can be quite sort of ephemeral. But there's just something that sort of comes together. So for me on dairy, there were lots of things really. One, um, uh, you know, I'm so I've got two brothers, and we were always very close to our father, who was, um, you know, he's died now, but he was just a wonderful guy and he's been he hardly spoke he was the, he was an incredibly quiet individual but um you know he'd been through the war and this and that and everything else so he was he was very very um self-effacing but i can remember as you do as a kid you know just remember these odd moments that don't they aren't actually there's nothing special about them other than you sort of remember them one of the things i remember was making was beating cream for something or other, 
and said, well, you know, if you keep on beating it, you'll turn it into butter. And so we then had this story. So he was the youngest in his family, and one of his jobs was to help make the butter on the farm. I just sort of remember it. So I always, so it's always had it. So just that little thing is sort of, I always remember that little thing. And then, so then um, one of the, it's a bit like the wheat bricks and honey and things. You know, I've got these tastes that sort of, you know, were established when I was about six, I reckon. They haven't really changed much. And I love butter. Um, so I love, you know, white bread and butter and ham. It's sort of my staple, my staple diet. So, um, and over the years, I would find that the quality of our butter was all over the shop. You know, sometimes it was good, and then other times it was, to me at least, it had a sort of a, a strange taste and so on. So, and it used to drive me nuts, and it used to, and coming again from a sort of advertising marketing background as well, it would drive me nuts that the rest of the world was packaging their butter and, you know, in foil and so on and so forth, and we insisted on using the greaseproof paper. And I'd listen to the guys from, you know, the dairy board, you know, giving excuses for why, you know, the only reason they did it was because it's cheap, I don't know, it's just like, uh, and, and it strikes me that sort of one of the one of the weird things about New Zealand is that we 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 have this thing, Doug, that um, volume is everything, and it comes from being a, like a little country that that I think we sort of compensate. So we everything we want to do is bigger, and you know, so um, so when it comes to dairy product. You know, we, we, we relish the fact that we're the biggest exporters of dairy in the world and so on, but, uh, but the quality of what we produce is not great, you know, because we're all about quantity, and it's very hard to be good at quantity and quality. You know, you, you normally, like in most things in life, you've got to make a choice between the two. Um, and again, I was, I was, I was saying that I'm, we're getting another painting um, commission at the moment, and the painting that we're going to commission, because I always refer to it, is um, of a steamship called the SS Dunedin, and that was the first refrigerated cargo vessel to send um, sides of mutton and boxes of butter to the UK market, and that was in 1882, and, and I always make the point that that that, that what that embodied then was using, um, you know, the, the farms were just being broken in, so it was the, the 1880s, it was just when there was beginning to be a surplus, you know, other than your family, you know, caring for your family and cutting more bush. And the farms were sort of getting big and established and there was, you know, exportable quantities of, of product. Um, and unlike almost any other country in the world, we've never really had a home market because from the time that we could produce enough, the technology of refrigeration happened and our closeness to the UK was... So, from the very beginning we've, we've looked to commodity products, we've looked to export, we've looked to um, technology, and we've looked to pricing to win, to win sales. Um, because in the UK when we exported this frozen product, you know, the, 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 the Brits say, well, it's, you know, it had to be cheaper, obviously, than a fresh product on the market. So we've always been, those have been the levers we've pulled. And when you look at dairy in New Zealand now, it's still the same. 
you know, we're still producing bulk product. Um, you know, 99% of the product we produce and export overseas is unbranded. It's just bulk powder that someone else does something with. And we use technology, and we're really good at technology, so you know we can convert milk into powder um, really efficiently, and that's why all those drying tires up and down the country. Um, but powder, powder milk just requires volume. So you know the, the, the cows we use tend to be Frisians, who are you know who don't produce a great quality milk, but they produce a lot of it, um, as opposed to Jerseys, you know, who produce beautiful um, milk, but not a lot of it. You know, the jerseys are much higher um, fat content and you know, much better tasting product. So, so I sort of started, um, some of us, you know, Proud Kiwi or whatever, I switched to, to Lurpak, which is a Danish product, right? And, and it's, a, it's actually a bloody good butter. And um, so I was in a supermarket this is about five years ago, yeah, in New World Park, which is where, you know, which is our local. And I was reaching out and putting a lure pack in the shopping trolley. And this is, you know, this is a this is how it happened. And in that sort of moment I, I thought, this is ridiculous. Why am I as a Kiwi putting a Danish butter in the shopping trolley? You know, so and especially a, a dairy product, like, you know, like we should be brilliant at that. And so that's where, that's where, that's where it sort of started. So it was like a, an affinity for, for butter anyway, through sort of just, you know, childhood stuff. Um, a, a real liking of butter. Um, a disliking of the butter that we're producing. And also I, I had a real thing about the dairy board and then Ontario, just not treating our dairy with respect, and I just, you know, we just, and there's this whole, you know, in, in economics, but, but, but if, if your business is a supply side business, as opposed to demand, you're always, you're always going to be sloppy, you know, you're never, you're never really going to care very much, because it's all just about how can we get rid of the stuff we're producing, as opposed to how can we create something that people want. So, that's, that's where the butter story started. And then, um, so I went home and um, looked up YouTube on how to make butter. <laughs> and I did, it's a true story. There was some, I got onto some hillbilly um, woman in the Appalachian Mountains and she was sitting in a lazy boy and, um, you know, teaching me how to, how to make butter. And in that jar with the cookies in, that AG jar, yeah. That was the jar I bought, and um, so so how you can make butter if you want to is you can you can get um, you know you, you, you buy some cream and then you um, let it go off for twenty four hours, just sort of get a slight culture going, and then you fill up a, an AG jar by about um, a third, and then you smash it basically, you smash the cream inside as opposed to beat it, and if you smash it you break the the molecular structure. Uh, and then you release the fat and the and the and the and the water. Uh, they become two separate things, and so you get um, you get butter, and then you get um, what's called buttermilk, which is the sort of the the the, the, the watery residue. And then you rinse that off, 
It's like drama, 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 and at the end of the day you get, you get butter. And it sort of taught me that A, you know, you could do it, but man, it's a, it's a messy, you know, I understand why people don't do it. But, but it was enough to sort of get me going, so then we spent the next, it was almost a year, Dave, from the time I thought we were going to make butter. Oh, sorry, sorry, so then the next thing that happened was I rang um, New World at Park and asked the suspected manager, who I you know, didn't know from Park of Soap, but... Um, and um, the manager's guy called Jason Whittihera, who's just like a, you know, a godlike figure in my, you know, estimation. He, he is a, um, the, the lovely thing about um, New World stores is they're owner-operated, so, so they still have a sort of degree of independence. And I rang him and said, um, Jason, you don't know me from a you know, bar of soap, but my wife keeps you afloat. Uh, <laughs> so it was sort of enough to give him uh, the biggest interest. So I said, I've just got this um, project I want to talk to you about. Can I have, you know, like 10 minutes of your time? He sure, come on in. So I said, look, I just think, um, I've just got this thing that New Zealand should be making the best butter in the world, and we're not. And if I can make it, will you sell it? And he said, you make it, I'll sell it. And it was as simple as that, which is, um, so that was the breakthrough moment. That was just, you know, because it's so easy to, to think about something, but, but actually turning it from a thought to reality is that. That's the tough thing. Um, and particularly for me, I think, Doug, coming from advertising where it's all about the ideas and never about the, you know, the, the, the ideas have always remained sort of, you know, so, so they're not turned into commercials or whatever, but they're not, they're not physical products. Mm. Um, and the thing that I wanted to do was produce a physical product. You know, I wanted to um, sort of hold it and, and play with it. So it took, as I say, about 12 months then to, to make our first butter. And um, that painting there of the creamery, mm. that's what we were going to create Doug was actually a, you know, a buttery um, but as close as we ever got was a um, chilled container um, where we put in a little you know and it's just like it's a, but it was a fabulous learning experience so so um, when you start to think about making butter it actually becomes incredibly complicated because uh, everything in New Zealand is sort of geared up for Fonterra Really with and I understand it, but you know, all the regulations and everything else, so actually getting, even getting cream is incredibly difficult, and getting, you know, and then getting approval to make, you know, it's, it's just a nightmare of sort of, you know, you just got to box on through the bureaucracy, and anyway, we got there, and um, the guy that, uh, so it's, you know, I talked to lots of people about butter, and everyone was sort of, Oh, yeah, it's interesting, but the roller eyes, I couldn't sort of quite get that there was anything, not sort of, you know, butter's butter. Um, a bit like a potato's potato or, you know, a, a cooking oil's cooking oil. And it's not until you sort of start delving in that you realise, nah, that's not the case at all. Um, one of the first guys that I mentioned to whose, whose eyes lit up was a guy called Andrew Railton, who was a production manager at Antipodes. Um, and Antipodes water plant. Um, is in Otakiri in the, in the Bay of Plenty near Whakatane. Um, and um, the Antipodes water plant is on Lewis Road. 
And so that's how we arrived at Lewis Road Creamery because it was, you know, you've got to call it something. And, and so we thought, oh, I'm going to call it Lewis Road. And so the creamery never evolved beyond, we, we never built that um, plant and we never really got beyond the um, chilled container. And interestingly, now butter is about 5% of our sales. And if we'd built the plant, we'd still be focused on 5% of our business. You know, it's just, so that was like a huge lesson for me. It was sort of driven, driven by a number of things, including the cost of building stuff, which is, um, you know, it's almost like a Kiwi default thing, but we love building stuff. You know, so it's, we love nuts and bolts and stainless steel and everything else. And so my contention is that um, there's enough stainless steel in New Zealand to last another hundred years. You know, we don't need to build a, you know, a single thing. Um, and what we've done pretty much from day one really was, um, was to say, actually, we're not manufacturers, we're producers. And what our role is, is to identify products that we think haven't been given the love um, and could be better, and to do the best that can be done with whatever it is, so whether it's butter or milk or anything else, and then find like-minded manufacturers who we can work with in partnership to create whatever we want to create. So. Um, that's really what we did. We, we started with artisan butter, um, making artisan butter. And my thing from day one really was if we are going to do, if we're going to do something we want to do more than, uh, we, we want to be more than artisan producers. You know, I, didn't, I didn't want to be a sort of back of the, you know, back of the boot or, you know, boot of the, boot of the car sort of um, business. That, that whatever we did should be able to be done at, at scale, uh, you know, supermarket scale. So that was always the, sort of the, the drive. So um, we still make our artisan butter, um, but, our, but our big butters are actually made um, with a company called Canary, uh, who, who are brilliant butter makers. But they, they have no, or had no sense of, you know, Supermarketing or branding or you know how you how you create a product that you know they were just manufacturers. So that's what we so so we started with butter, um, and uh, I had never had a more Vicky for that matter a Facebook page, but we thought right, well, should we should really you know go on Facebook. So um, Grace was our you know our daughter Grace was our first um, follower. Um, and then her friends from school, so this <laughs> little group of, of, of roadies who were all, you know, St. Cuthbert's and, and incredibly enthusiastic. Um, and then their mums and then, you know, it's sort of all, it's, 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 it's um, and, and again, what, what, what I've loved about this whole thing, Doug, is that um, I knew nothing about manufacturing, I knew nothing about, one of the things about advertising as well is you're very insulated actually, you know, you get very good at a specific piece of the puzzle, but, you know, in terms of how distribution works or how manufacturing works or how retail works or how sales work or how, um, you know, pricing, all that stuff is, 
it's like a whole new world of, of learning, and you've got to learn already really quickly. Um, and so it's been a, for me, that's been the most exciting thing, it's just learning as you go, but taking a, taking a, all the sort of things that, um, you know, I'd learned in, in, in the advertising career, really, which is, you know, the look and feel is really important. Um, but the but the big breakthrough for me and everything we do now is um, that that in the old days you could separate a product and a brand and you know with um, if you were in marketing or in advertising you you you, you always tend to forget the product and you just focused on on the brand and how you could do things with it but for us. The real insight is the product and the brand are inseparable um, and you can't do anything to one without affecting the other and so we, everything we do we're always holding the product, you know, we, we would never have a discussion about a new, you know, anything without actually physically holding it and sort of thinking about it and what the, so for us, you know, the, the design of the, of the pack is probably more important than anything else we do and, the, and and our mantra is that the branding has to be brilliant and the product has to be better so our little our little thing Doug, is you you should always um, pick up one of our products and think this is going to be great and then the experience should be better than the, better than the promise you know that's the, so we really keep on resetting the bar upwards all the time um, and touch wood, you know, we've never, we've never compromised on products, and we never start with a, um, you know, as you do in marketing or in most uh, businesses, we never start with, or it'd be great if we could create a something or other for around this price point. You know, we we always say, wouldn't it be great if we could make a brilliant milk or a brilliant butter or a brilliant bread or a brilliant and, and well, how would you do that? And then that's the first thing to do. And then the next thing is, okay, well, okay, how are we going to do it in a way that you know, is sort of economically feasible? But we never sort of start with a price point. And, and my really strongly held belief is um, that people will always pay for quality as long as they get it. You know, so so people hate paying too much for something that wasn't worth them. You know, but but if it's if it's every bit as good or better than than they thought it was going to be for the price, then you're in a really happy space, um, and that's that's sort of that's that's what we've done. And so the Facebook piece of that conversation, the reason that that's so important is we we really take that stuff seriously. So I think, um, yeah. I mean, I can't ask for anyone else, but I, but I think that we're, we're probably most, one of the most zealous sort of Facebook-driven businesses that, that, that I know. I'm so, Ali, you know, who you know, is our queen of the Facebook. Um, yeah. And, you know, by and large, we are a 90 plus percent uh, response rate within an hour. And we get, you know, we've got 175 thousand um, followers, um, 
and they're always posting and we always answer and, and, and we sort of that's that whole thing I think again of treating the customer with respect you know that, so our roadies you know we wouldn't be in business without them so we really take them seriously and we really listen we really um, enlist their help um, and so it's, it's a real dialogue that sort of makes it it makes the business really real for us. You know, that's like the most important connection. Um, and it's just so much fun. That's just so much fun. So we, we um, I think we launched, I don't know, I'm terrible on this day, but we probably launched, you know, 10 or more products every year, which is just sort of unheard of. You know, it's sort of almost every month is a, the next launch is a something or other. And it's like just so much. It's so exciting because we sort of, well, we think about it and we never sort of, we never give it too much thought, you know, so, so one of the great things about, which I've enjoyed anyway, is, you know, all the, all the business school um, teachings, obviously, you know, the, the, the fundamental premises, you start with a business plan and you, you know, and I, which I'm sure is fine, but, but, but if we, if I had started with a business plan, you know, after that butter thing, like, oh, I'm going to make butter, and then I've done a business plan. I know I would never have done it, because the barriers of entry were too high, and, the, you know, the, there's just so much that, that, that you wouldn't do, and, and, and sort of just, sometimes just sheer enthusiasm, you know, beats everything. And, and if you feel sort of, and so that's what we've done with everything. Like, we do get really, and I, you know, I, I think that's sort of part of the, part of the job, really. You want people to get really excited about what we're doing, and so if we're, we're going to launch it or something like that, you know, everyone's eyes have sort of got to light up, and there's got to be a real enthusiasm about it, and, um, and, and you've sort of almost got to bottle the enthusiasm, you know, and then, it's, and, and then off, off, off you go. So, um, you know, we started with butter, then, then milk was the next big thing, and I hadn't realised again just how ordinary New Zealand milk is. Um, because again, you think, you know, don't we, as Kiwis, you think, well, you know, we, we make the best milk in the world, it must be, it must be fabulous, but, but because the, the, the Dairy Board and Fonterra's focus is so much on commodities, it's all about how can you get the most milk from the biggest cow per, you know, acre of land, and, and and when you do that, you can compromise on the quality of the, of the land as well. So you know, you're seeing all these forestry conversions into dairy. And you know that you know, that soil is about that bloody deep. Um, but if you sort of force feed the soil and, you know, put as much, um, you know, superphosphate and all the other stuff on it and just sort of manufacture a growth and you put cows that, um, just produce a lot of milk. You just end up with a product that's pretty really ordinary. And then in New Zealand, we're one of the we're one of the countries, unlike the the, the US, for example, um, where you can add a product called permeate back in. And permeate's a byproduct of cheese production things. It's just a it's just like a watery. You know, it used to you used to just pour it off. But now it's put back into most milk. Um, 
And it's like adding water to paint, you know, it still looks like paint, but it's just got water, you know, it's just, and, and that's what I look it's like. Uh, and so I went to a little company called Green Valley Dairy, which was started by a guy called Bruce Pullman, who has a lot of dairy farms. Um, and he sort of just had a fundamental, um, I think, standoff with Fonterra when it was being formed about what they were doing, how they were doing it, and where organic um, fitted, which was nowhere. Um, and so he said, right, I'll go build my own. So he built his own plant, um, which could bottle milk. Um, so I went to see his general manager. I remember going out to see him, Doug, I had a, um, a glass bottle of milk. And I said, I want to, you know, because most milk on the, on the shelves looks like an oil container, you know, it's like plastic. You know, it just drives me nuts, but it's that whole attitude of, Let's do the cheapest possible stuff we can do, you know. And I thought, well, no. What if we actually treated milk with the respect it deserves and put it in a bottle that looks like a milk bottle? Um, and I said, so what I want to do, this is to Corey. Um, what I want to do is I want to put Jersey milk, which I, which I know is like the best, you know, the best milk from a drinking, you know, because of the high fat content and flavour inside. I want to put organic Jersey milk into a bottle like that. Could we do that? And he said, yep, we could do that. You produce the bottles and we'll, and we'll bottle it for you. And so that's, that's how we started. So the original milk that we sold was um, um, Jersey organic milk. And that lasted for about six weeks. And then we ran out of Jersey milk. And we just couldn't, there wasn't, there simply wasn't enough. So then we went to mix herd. Um, organic and that's been sort of the backbone really of, of all our um, dairy product um, so that's how the, sort of the whole white milk thing started and we've got um, we've got about 50% of the organic milk market in New Zealand and that market has grown fourfold since we launched and again it's just that thing of you know if you give people a product that they can know and love, that's what they want. Um, but you've just got to create it, you know, and if you don't create it, they're not going to buy it. So all the research in the world will never tell you that someone wants that, because they don't know, you know, it's not until you take a leap of faith and think, you know, if we did that, you know, it's that better mousetrap thing, you know, it's just, you know, if you create it, people will be a path to your door, it's really true. And so, and again, Doug, I've, you know, I've grown up in, in a world that, um, has relied on market research for everything. You know, everything was predicated on market research. And I, you know, I'm a big fan of it. But but we very rarely do it. Um, because I think that judgment is infinitely more powerful than asking, you know, a whole group of people, you know, what they think, because they don't think. You know, they're not they don't wake up in the morning thinking shit, the next great dairy product's going to be something or other. It's just not in their psyche. So the better thing is um, get, a, get a, you know, surround yourself with sort of smart people who think in a similar way, and start from there. You know, you only need a glimmer of a thought, and you just you keep developing it. And so that's 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 what we did. And so when it came to flavored milk, you know, the chocolate milk, which is really the sort of the turbocharger for us that really got things up and running. Um, 
that again was um, that was ju that was just really good luck. And um, uh, Whitaker's was a, a client that I had worked with or Sarchi's and then assignment group had worked with for years and years and years, so we knew them well. I wasn't that close to them, but um, you know I knew them. And I picked up the phone to Holly Whitaker, who's like the third generation, and just she is, you know, she's just fabulous. And um, I said to Holly, look, I, I'm not sure, Holly, but I've just got this thing that um, we should do a flavoured milk, and all the flavoured milk that I'm seeing looks like, you know, bottled candy. It's just a, a primo, and it's just, you know, it's crap. So I reckon we should do it, and if we're going to do it, we want to do it really well. And that means that our first milk should be with you, so we want to do a chocolate milk. Could we do it? How are we going to that? Um, and they're, they're actually, you know, they are a very conservative you know, family-run business. Um, but Holly is sort of the next generation, sort of, um, she was just fabulous. And, and so she said, yeah, look, I think that's a great idea. Why don't, why don't we see if we can put it together? And so that's what we did. And then just, you know, the way these things work, that um, Whitakers could only supply us with powdered chocolate. Green Valley Dairy could only work with powdered products. Um, the reason that uh, Whitakers could produce powder is that they just installed, installed this, you know, multi-million dollar five grain roller thing, five roller refined dairy products so that the, so that the chocolate they were producing is, you know, it's like so beautiful. It's going to be like, you know, the microns, um, uh, you know, inconsistency. And so, um, literally, all they would do is take the conveyor and put a, you know, big bag at the end of it and run this chocolate off. And then we shipped it up to um, Green Valley Dairy. And we spent about a week on it, you know, just sort of playing around with, you know, how much chocolate. But, it was as simple, and everything was done in that kitchen. And then we produced it, and then of course it went nuts. You know, that, that was just a, and that was just like one of those once in a lifetime moments where it's like, holy hell, and I, how, how did this happen? And it's, it, was, it was overwhelming because, because I started the business without a business, and I literally, it was me, so you know, there was no one else to go to. Um, I, there's, there's a thing in entrepreneurial theory which you know, there, there are about five different models of you know, how, you, how you start businesses but one of them is just called a, um, um, well it's called lots of things but basically you define your pain point it just says you know, how much time and effort and reputation you prepared to put into this before you call quits um, and that's really how that was my approach with Australia which was you know, only how much I could reasonably write a check for without thinking you know now I'm being really silly um, and time, I'm a big believer in, you know, you've got all the time in the world, you know, yeah. so when I started Lewis Road, I was running an assignment group and I just joined the first um, public board, you know, which was Sky City, which was an incredibly big and complex board and I was doing two master's degrees back to back and then I started Lewis Road, so I was doing all of that at the same... Teaching or, take, or, or taking... You're studying. I was studying, yeah. Oh, wow. I did, yeah, I did two, so I did them um, back to back. 
but I was doing all of that at the same time as I was studying Lilith's Road. So it was an incredibly intense, you know, period of time because you, you you couldn't not do any of those things well. And you were studying business, was it? Yeah, it was. I did a uh, MBA and then I did a, a Masters in Management. So, um, and the Masters in Management is something that when you know I free up more time. I would go back and do, and I wanted, to, you know, if I could, I'd do a PhD in it because it's just it's it's a little it's a little area that I got, um, you know, the, 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 so the the master management um, degree is a is a research degree, so you, you pick a subject and you you know deep dive into it, and that that really is what a PhD is. It's just at another level, but it's it's and and. The subject that I got really focused on was uh, a thing um, called independence and, um, and business study. You know, business schools are all focused on leadership. You know, everything's leadership. You know, it comes out of comes out of really um, the U.S., the east coast of the U.S. You know, Harvard and um, Yale and so on. Where after World War Two, that was there was a huge focus on um, leadership as opposed to administration. So, you know, the MBA was you know, a Master of Business Administration, but actually no one teaches administration anymore. No one wants to be an administrator. Everyone wants, wants to be a leader. So that's where all the focus is. And my thing is, um, well, that's very interesting. Um, but um, what about the followers? So you know, why don't we focus a little more on that? And, and in fact, in the last sort of decade or so, there's been quite a lot of attention given to followers. But in teaching, you know, this, you know, it's 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 the easiest way to teach things is sort of a binary thing of you know, if you're not this, you're this, and you, then then you can do a four before you know, so it's this or it's this or this or this. Or that. But it's all am I and and. And the way I was, and my brain works anyway is I, I always like to sort of take something and think, right, well, how does that, how does that fit with my experience? And for me, you know, I think leadership is, is vastly overcooked. I, I just think it's given way too much emphasis. But the way it works is if you're not a leader, you're a follower, right, just by, by default. So, you know, if you're not leading, you must be following. But, but actually, for me, the most interesting people I've met in business, um, by and large, didn't fit either category. So they weren't leaders and they weren't followers. They were, they were sort of really independent. And back to my you know, great partner in crime, Kim Thorpe, um, you know, he could have run any agency anywhere in the world, but it just, it's just like, his thing was, why would I? Why would I want to do that when what I really want to focus on is just doing what I really enjoy doing, which is creating ideas and things. Um, and so, you know, someone else can manage it. And that was, you know, in our relationship, that was me. But, um, but he wasn't a follower either. So, you know, there was no way that I could, could I, you know, that I thought I was leading Kim. I know a lot of guys like that, and the best guys I know are very much like that. They're not... You know, they could lead, and sometimes they will step up and lead if they feel it's really important, but most of the time they prefer someone else to do that. But they're absolutely not followers anyway. So this independent thing, 
And my father was an airline pilot, um, and airline pilots fit that bill where, you know, when they're flying a plane, they are, you know, they're in charge, it's their world. But when they're not flying a plane, they're sort of part of a bureaucracy that they never feel comfortable in. Um, and academics are the same, you know, professors, they, 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 they have to be at a university to profess, but they don't, they hate following the, the, the academic, you know, structures and things. So anyway, that's a whole sort of another whole thing that I'm sort of, you know, that I'll get back to and, and that's something that I would like to teach, you know, I'd like to, I think that would be, um, because it, again, it sort of comes from a, comes from a personal place and it's, you know, so you can feel it deeply. Because what would you do the AUT speech? Was it Auckland University or AUT? Yeah, it could have been both, but Auckland Uni, I think. And what was the main, because one of the questions I often have is the, the piece of advice for young graduates or people yeah. going to college or whether college is the right move or just what your insights were around, what were the main kind of taking points from that or those? So I, so, so on that, I mean, I think, I think in this day and age, I think you're crazy not to go to college. I just think it's, um, and I just think the whole, the, 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 the way the education system is set up, you know, it just assumes that to complete, to complete a sort of body of knowledge that you need to, to go forth and multiply, you know, that, 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 that university is, a, is, a, is a, an important piece of it. But um, that said, um, I'm, and again, it's just my own bias. But but um, someone said that you know the great thing about um, futurists is you know they can always make predictions and they'll never be held accountable because. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 one of the sort of one futurist said that um, he or she believed in the in the that's that's the. People who are now graduating are likely to have something like 25 different jobs in five different um, sectors, which is an extraordinary thing. Whereas uh, my father left the farm, went to war, learned to fly, and and it was a pilot forever within New Zealand. It's just, just one, just one thing. Um, and and by and large, I wasn't that different. Uh, until, you know, the last sort of five or ten years, I guess. And my advice, really, I think to um, someone starting out now is, you know, don't put your blinkers on. You know, there are so many opportunities and, um, and the most exciting thing is chasing them. You know, it's just like that. And, and the worst that can happen is, you don't succeed, you know, and, and 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 so you should never take that. I think either as failure, you know. So even in my little sort of, you know, so I was very much focused on on advertising, obviously, for you know most of my career. Um, but then between antiquities and Lewis Road, you know, I've had two or three other things that I think I know if I spent more time on, I could really make work. But for various reasons, you know. They didn't, but but you just think that's just part of the learning curve. You know, as long as you learn from stuff. But uh, but I think momentum is hugely important. So my my thing is, you know, um, I can't imagine our Doug doing doing something that I'm not passionate about. And you know, passion is a incredibly sort of hackneyed phrase. You know, you know, 
everyone talks about being passionate, but actually, I think you you do, and I think it's actually really consistent with sort of millennials and younger. They they really get it, um, which is if you're not enjoying it, don't do it. And there are so many new opportunities opening up. Uh, you know, there are so many whole new vistas all the time. But that that. Keep going until you find something you, you, you really love doing, and then, and then do it. And then, um, I was quite old-fashioned, but but I reckon if you're going to do something, you do it as well as it can be done. You know, which is which is why for me that you know even little things like an office. You know, I hate the idea of going to a shitty office, and I can't. I I don't understand how people can can work well and and, and accept. You know, less than the not so much less than the best, but the less the, the, the anything less than they can do, you know. So just um, and and um, having that sort of that, that that real desire to be as you know, it's that old um, U.S. Marine thing, you know, be as good as you can be or whatever it is. And I, but I really believe that. I reckon you you should really and and there is no substitute I reckon for hard work. Um, and I think one of the things again that sort of drives me a bit nutty about. Um, a lot of people um, is that old thing. You don't, you don't, you won't believe how hard I'm working. You know, they're not working hard. You know, that's that's crap. You know, it's just um, you've got so many hours in the day. You know, you, 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 there, there's no excuse for um, for just going at something like a hundred and ten percent. And that's the fun of it. And you just fit more in, and you become more. Um, um, Match ready, you know. So you, you can add and add and add and add and add. And, and um, so I'm a huge believer. Just, just, just go for it. Keep, take the blinkers off. Give everything a crack, um, and surround yourself with good people. And and to me, good people. A big piece of that is, um, the people who are equally enthusiastic. You know. I, so I, I've got no tolerance for. Um, um, skeptics um, or cynics, you know. I just think you, you just you got to clear them from your life. You know, they're just it's the worst thing. You know, it's so easy to say, "Oh, I don't think that'll work," or "No, I don't think." You know, um, and you don't want people who you know who, who's automatic. You can because you can see it in their eyes. You know, people who, who automatically will go to the negative are people that you should just. Give, give someone else yeah. that problem, you know. Sorry about that exclusion. Uh, and yeah, I love the piece about the, the people and your surroundings, that kind of five monkey theory of you end up. Yeah. Uh, and I've kind of considered that myself this year, being a get a better personal trainer and a business mentor yeah. and, and trying to lift my standards yeah. through that association. But um, And keep on lifting. Yeah. I reckon, you know, it's just like keep, you know, and that's. I think, you know, that's what keeps you at any age, that's what sort of keeps you going, you know, because you always, you always got something. But I don't even think it's, I don't, I don't think it's a, um, you know, it's not a financial ambition. I think it's, it's just an ambition to, you know, to, to do everything better. You know, so including fishing or, or, or working out or anything, it's just, it's just why would you want to settle 
for doing this and you were doing it before, and I just think that that's not, that's the thing that keeps you energetic anyway. And it's interesting the piece that took out this Tony Robbins course was progress was happiness. Yeah. And like Yeah. And so if you're improving in all those aspects of your life. Yeah. Is there anyone that kind of defines success or that's been a kind of inspiration for you or that you've kind of had as a mentor or looked up to? You know, I'm sure there are, but um, I I think I'm more of a magpie. I, like, I sort of take lots of you know, so I think you never stop learning and you never stop um, improving. And one of the ways you do that, I reckon, is, is constantly... So I, I always like to think you know, that, I, that I can read the New York Times in the morning and there'll be something in there that I think that's interesting. It's still a little, you know, and it's, and it's not... It's never all that direct, so I'm not a big believer in... Um, um, I read very few... Um, Business books, for example, because I just don't think it's too it's too binary. It's too like you know linear, and I think that where you learn is from um, just seeing little seeing little glimpses of you know, things that are, that somehow you can borrow and turn and, and use. Um, so so I reckon I've got like a thousand mentors and and. Is there any one book or a movie you? You've kind of gifted or recommended. Well, I tell you, and, um, I think if you want to be truly humbled about what you can actually do in a life, um, you read William Manchester's biography of Winston Churchill. And you know, Vicky always tells me off because he said, "I'm going to Winston Churchill, you know, hundred years old, and whatever." But but actually, when when you when you read a biography like that. It's so humbling, you know, what some what one individual can do with his with his life. Uh, and so I just think that is, uh, if you know, if I was only allowed one book, that, that's it's actually three books, but that's that's what I would get. But another uh, another one which is um, equally fascinating is it's called Hero, and uh, which is an odd title, I know, but it's um, it's a biography of T. Lawrence, who was Lawrence of Arabia. Um, and again, he was just so. I'm always fascinated by fascinating people, not not necessarily what they've sort of achieved so much as how they've gone about making the most of the lives they've got. Um, and the third book, which is very hard to track down, it's just um, um, and I'm having a senior moment trying to remember who the hell wrote it, um, but it's called Fun Mile It Lasted. And that's um, what's his name. Fun while it lasted, and that's just about a guy who um, who just he, he, he he's dead now, but he he joined. He was just a um, a layabout in in San Francisco. He took himself off to summer school in Mexico and became a bullfighter, and then he joined you know what became the CIA during the war, and then he and then he came back and he was just a. I would have been a fascinating character, but he opened a few bars and he had the you know the most sort of famous bars in San Francisco, cocktail bars and stuff. It was just one of those guys though who you know he, he thought he'd made his fortune and breeding um, exotic fish, and he built this huge fish tank in his in his apartment, which then burst. And it's all that sort of interesting. It, it almost like well, why did you write a book? You know, <laughs> this is 
but it's so entertaining. And so I just find all that stuff, you know, so I find those sorts of individuals just, um, and, and I also find people who are enjoying themselves, you know, whatever they're doing, I find that inspirational, you know, because I think for me, you know, I can get really serious really quickly, you know, my sort of default option is to take things really seriously and da 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 um, but I think you've got to lighten up as well, you know, and, and, and so I love, you know, I love people who, go, who just don't take themselves too seriously and, but actually work hard at doing something, you know, so, um, and not to put, you know, too many feathers in your cap, but I mean, that's why I love seeing what you're doing and what the, what your, you know, fellow guys are doing it this year, it's like it's, uh, it's, it's loving what you're doing, but doing it really bloody well, you know, and, and, and like every day just wanting to do a little bit better, you know, that's mm. that. It's just that moving forward and getting better and things like that, so, yeah. That's great. Yeah. And if you were Prime Minister for a day, or if there's one kind of pet peeve in New Zealand in general, or there's one thing you'd like to change, is there anything that kind of sticks out? Um, I am, uh, um, it's almost the opposite of that actually. I think the thing I'd like to protect more than anything is that we don't go down the route of, uh, the, that America has gone down of this incredibly divisive politics. Uh, and I think that we should be extraordinarily proud as a country that we were really the first social welfare country in the world and that actually what makes us great uh, is that we are we're sort of moderate on all things um, and and I think that what I would like to see is less extremes of anything including wealth you know because I, I can remember growing up um, where I think there are only a couple of millionaires that anyone ever knew of you know but everyone was sort of like not everyone, obviously, because, you know, no doubt there were all sorts of, you know, unfairnesses in the world, but by and large, as a, as a society, we were, we, 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 were, we, we were moderates, you know, and everyone got a good education, everyone got a good um, uh, start in life in terms of work, and, everything. and I find that, so I, that's what I would want to do, so if I was, I wouldn't be able to do it if I was only Prime Minister for a day, but I, but I think that keeping us all, keeping us all moderate, I reckon as, as a country is like something we should be really proud of um, and, and, and ensuring that we don't become extremists in anything. Well, that's wonderful. might be a, a nice place to, to end it. I was going to ask as well, there's one, what do you think your greatest strength has been? Or what do you think, is, um, it, is it pulling together all those ideas and staying curious or is it? I think, so. I, I think for me, actually, it's, it's um, not saying too great, but I just think it's determination. I think, you know, you've you just got to keep on doing it um, and not being put off and not, yeah, just keeping to, keep to, keep to the path. And I think, you know, there's very, very, very um, few things that can substitute for hard work. You know, and if you're more determined and more, you know, but I don't think, and I think you can be determined without being aggressive, you know, I don't think you need to be aggressive, you don't need to be, you know, you know, because again, I think the aggressive thing goes back to sort of the side of extremism, 
You know, I just don't like things. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I think you can just be really determined. And I think my father, again, was a sort of inspiration. He was just incredibly sort of cool and calm and determined. He just, he just did his job and he did it really well, I would say. Um, and, I, and I think that's important. You know, I think you should be able to look back on every day thinking, have, have, I, have I improved something? You know, something better as a result of having spent the day here. Uh, than it was the day before, you know, and, I, and I've also been very focused on work, you know, on, on sort of on commercial things, and I think um, that what I would like to do if I was going to sort of stretch out more is sort of academically, as I say, I think that whole independent thing I find is like really fascinating because it's not, again, leader or, you know, it's that middle bit that I find really fascinating. Um, and personally, I'd like to do more that is more sort of socially focused, I think. Whatever that is, I'm not sure what that is yet. But, you know, more for the betterment of all people's sort of stuff, but, you know, that's, that's yet to come. Oh, that's uh, it's a great message, that middle road's kind of the yoga philosophy. Yeah, good. It's, the, it's uh, I think... And like you say, politically, you can understand where people are coming from if you're not so extreme. Yeah. Um, but appreciate your time. Pleasure. Peter, I've got a class to teach you, so I've got a little yeah, thing on the schedule. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, uh, well, the work you've done and the story, and the, it's really inspiring. Good stuff. So it's kind of got my brain <laughs> rolling a little bit too, and hopefully, I'll do that for the Great business. Stuff. And uh, yeah, appreciate your time and what you're doing. It's, good, it's good, fantastic. Good. good. Please like. Fantastic. Wow, that was a real treat. Quite literally, I got some uh, uh, the chocolate butter. I didn't even know it was a thing. And the artisan butter from Peter, the Lewis Road, creamery stuff after the interview. And yeah, I, I don't do milk, but I do enjoy a bit of butter. And it was uh, it's really good stuff. So, but Peter was he even mentioned afterwards that he'd uh, he'd be happy to do a round two. So I'd love to get him back on with uh, with the actual good mics and I'm a bit time strapped too. So maybe tap into some of his other uh, uh, passions, fly fishing and and his some more insights, the nuts and bolts of the business too, and um, marketing strategies and what have. I think it's his kind of enthusiasm and passion and uh, curiosity is really it's really contagious like he talked about having cutting out all the negative people in your life uh, just creating this beautiful environment to work from and to be and to, to create and just how it changes your mindset so uh, I got a lot out of it hopefully you did too hopefully you dug it think less experience more maybe go outside I just put a post up on Facebook kind of curious about maybe what products or things I haven't looked at or that have been right in front of me that you know we could change someone out there is going to make it so why not uh, you know why not why can't it be you or me or someone or collective together followers and leaders together so dug it hope you did I certainly did feedback always appreciated much love have a beautiful long weekend if you're in New Zealand and uh, it'll be at Wanderlust for the next four days so maybe even listen to this one on the way down at Wanderlust if you're coming down and uh, 
I'll uh, be doing a hug workshop impromptu and just be hugging people for the fun of it and having a good time. So lots of love, think less, experience more. Adios. Oh, and I forgot to mention Arthur Arby is playing us in and out. I just recorded a podcast with him too. And the song Greatness of Gold. Check Arthur Arby's out if you're into the music. He's a he's a dude.